This is the movie Hall of Fame class of Eddie Murphy for Friday, March 5th, 2021. And there he is on the other line. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Hercules? Oh, geez. Adam Hall. Hello, I'm Adam. Yeah, in case you didn't know. That was the most, that was the biggest compliment I've heard from you in a while. Hercules? Jeez. That's kind. It's it's incorrect, but it's kind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Much like the films of Eddie Murphy, a a bit ironic. Um, (laughs) Hey, man. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm dandy over here in my, my humble abode. Good to hear it. I have a excruciating leg cramp right now. <laughs> I know. I am in so much pain. I mean, yeah, I I'm like we're, we're close to calling 911 live on the air. You need a massage is what I think it is. You need a proper masseuse to get in there. Desperately. If you're yeah. a masseuse, please hit me up. Hopefully one whose name is Ray. <laughs> A man gave me a massage. It moved. (laughs) So what, Nico? It's contact. Contact (laughs) is the tell. (laughs) I've been in prison for three years. The breeze gets me hard. (laughs) Such a great line. (laughs) All right, we're talking Eddie. Uh, Do you have any movies that you want to catch me up on that you've seen over the past week? Or should we get right into it? Right before this show, I finished watching Following. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, the the movie on the computer, right? Movie on the computer? No, 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 no. That, yeah, that's that's searching. That's searching. Oh, follow. Oh, the uh, Christopher Nolan, the Christopher movie. fucking Nolan movie. Oh shit! I'm sorry. I, sorry, get them confused. <laughs> oh yeah, get them confused. Are they that similar? Um, Following. Oh Fo- yeah, follow, Chris yeah. early Nolan, first Nolan movie. Yep, yep, and holy shit, he's always been Chris Nolan. He has. Down to, like, the protagonists wearing their stupid suits. Yes. The One of the guys' names is Cobb. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? It was insane. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, yeah, he's always been Nolan, even when he's working with, like, a $100,000 budget. Yes. That's the case in that one. Uh, you know, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, it's kind of cool watching a guy like, you know, it, it, it's like watching Axl Rose play an acoustic guitar. I mean, it, it is kind of cool watching a guy who is so used to using the loudest instrument have yeah. to use a quieter instrument. And mm-hmm. there, uh, you're right. There are those sort of Nolanisms poking through, I, especially like that third act twist. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's inception. It's it's it prestige. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it, you, you've seen it a million times. So it is kind of cool to see it in its smallest form. Some guys just always wanted to paint with the largest canvas. And Nolan was that person. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it's cool to watch. It's, you know, every once in a while you run into a director whose first film does not resemble what they ultimately become. But uh, yes, no, this is one of those examples where, yeah, Nolan <laughs> figured himself out pretty quickly. Just hadn't refined all of the craft. Yeah, but improved, which is the important thing. Yeah, I would say improved. I don't know where it ranks. It's either directly above or right below Inception on my list. Okay. (laughs) Which is probably confusing to most people. Yeah. (laughs) But Inception is like number six on my list or something. Right. So, yeah. There are some guys that it's, you know, Guy Ritchie, I think of as a perfect example, where Mm. when they were working in the independent system and they were just making quirky crime uh, comedies, um, like... 
they should have never left. And the second yeah. you gave him a bigger budget and you gave him that bigger canvas, he didn't know how to fill it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, Nolan Spielberg, guys like that, it's like, oh, you should be working in the studio system. This is where you belong. And sometimes you can get a little carried away, but I don't need to see your indie rom-com, Chris <laughs> Nolan. Yeah. You no. know? No, I agree with that. It's also just a movie that where you, I mean, when I watched it, I thought like, I can see where this guy could go. It's, it's, it's much bigger than I, it has any right to be. Cause you look at it and just through its cinematography and it, and it's, I don't know, some of his direction, the sort of like fly on the wall attitude that sort of reminds me of some French films. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. It takes itself a little more seriously than I, than I expected. And there's a, yeah, especially with that music, there's a lot of Nolan that really, really wants to uh, go into like these really hard boiled thrillers, which can be much bigger than obviously what following was. So I see the relationship for sure. Yeah. One thing Nolan never did have, even in his young years, was a sense of humor. No, <laughs> I will admit that. <laughs> no. And I was thinking that while watching this, dude, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's 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 good. It's just like, damn, is this like thoroughly unfunny? And yeah, it takes itself incredibly seriously because if you interestingly, yeah, if it was Guy Ritchie, it would have been <sighs> Guy Ritchie is one to like do like twists on the level that Christopher Nolan might in terms of like complicating in terms of doing these complicated maneuvers, I would say they're similar in that way, even though mm-hmm. the twists themselves are different. Um, but yeah, the difference is that Guy Ritchie can be funny. <laughs> yes. And Christopher Nolan is incapable of being funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, again, like just there are some guys that are not meant to be indie directors and he's one of them. Yeah. I agree. Um, but yeah, uh, I have been crushing tape on the Criterion channel lately. Oh, cool. I am having a great time with Jabril's Criterion account. <laughs> oh, good. What have you been watching? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I like going on there into the expiring soon section because it gives oh. me an excuse to watch movies that I would never pull the trigger on um, otherwise. And uh, I watched this movie called House of Games. I just sort of stumbled on it. For some reason, I had never even heard of this movie. It's a damn it, David Mamet movie written oh, cool. and directed by David Mamet. 1987 and it stars Joe Mantegna and Lindsay Krause and Lindsay Krause plays like a shrink with a degenerate gambler as her patient I know like it's like how has Nico never seen this and (laughs) in fact why hasn't Nico seen it 30,000 directed by David Mamet (laughs) yeah I know it's like exactly like it was engineered in the lab for me yeah but the the um the degenerate gambler is like in debt with this um this con man uh uh, played by joe montagna and um con man shit ensues cool and it's amazing it's like Uh, really fucking good cool 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 (laughs) and like everybody should see it i think it's also if you don't have criterion channel it's streaming on Amazon Prime, I think. That sounds like one you could find fairly easily. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's an incredibly easy watch. In, in fact, um, I, I brought it up to my father because he's been in the hospital with, uh, you know, complications that are explained on the other podcast. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm like, have you seen this movie, House of Games? He's like, yes, I love that movie. And I oh, was wow. mad at him as he's laying there, uh... ailing from... <laughs> this heart condition that he's suffering from (laughs) like why have you not told me about this he's like i never thought to bring it up it's like you know this is 
my kind of movie. <laughs> go, Dad. Like, how did you? You you were almost gonna go to your deathbed, not having introduced me to House of Games. <laughs> Because I was actually considering oh. to myself, if this man dies this week and he th- thought he could go 26 years without introducing me to House of Games. He didn't introduce you to House of Games. It doesn't no, matter. This, <laughs> the nerve of this man. You found it yourself. He the didn't nerve do shit. of this man. <laughs> that should be his biggest regret. I hope that he was laying in bed. <laughs> I don't hope that. I love my dad. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I watched that and I watched Bringing Up Baby. Which is a classic Howard Hawks comedy oh, from okay. 1938. Oh, wow. I would never watch this if it were not for Criterion Channel. Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, um, screwball comedy, a lot of physical pratfally shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the dumbest premise ever. It's just like Catherine Hepburn has a rich aunt who ordered a leopard from Africa and her and Cary Grant somehow through a comedy of errors end up together with this leopard and they have to deliver this leopard uh, to the aunt and uh, chaos ensues. Okay. And it is fucking hilarious. And it's like, remember when movies were funny? <laughs> yeah, there's not when, many like, of those anymore. Remember when like people were funny and they like knew how to deliver a joke and like they understood physicality and yeah, that was apparently great. that was a hundred years ago. Yeah, and it you was. Gotta <laughs> go back a hundred years to find movies like this. It's honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It is so hilarious with this stupid premise, and it's because Howard Hawks is a genius, and the two leads were both trained in drama and comedy, yeah. which is. We're going to talk about a guy that can do both today, but there are just so few of them left. Um, Dude, it is amazing when, you know, actors were Swiss Army knives back in the day. Yeah, that was back in the days of Charlie Chaplin, which you probably need to watch more if I fucking love Charlie Chaplin. Definitely uh, do. Yeah. Criterion has a bunch of those too. So, yeah. But that's another guy, interestingly enough, who can also do both. I mean, because you'll see something like Modern Times or The Great Dictator, which are wonderful, or uh, uh, The Gold Rush, anything like that. But then you watch The Kid. Oh, God, I love The Kid so much. Yeah. God, that's just a beautiful film. Oh, We're going to do a silent movie podcast. I'd love to do a silent here. movie pod. I'd love to. I'd lo- I mean, there's a shit ton of them. <laughs> there's so many fucking silent movies. It's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, boy, are there some wonderful movies out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if if you're like a little allergic to older films, like seems like our generation really is like real. I I've run across so many people are like, I won't do it if it's in black and white. What? I saw a tweet from like a filmmaker, like an actual filmmaker that's done like TV episodes oh, of God of like shows that you've seen, and she was on Twitter being like, Yeah, most of these black and white movies are like dated as hell and sexist and racist and shit, and you should probably just not watch them. It's, it's it's crazy to me that it's not just the the normies out there it's like people in the industry have just not seen movies from pre-1970 sometimes even later than that you should not watch them what are you talking about yeah it's it's pretty crazy but here's what i would recommend like if you're a little allergic to this stuff howard hawks is a perfect way in because yeah. that's a director that is just like working within the studio system made very accessible movies and movies that hold up because like the comedy in these things, it's not like self-referential. It's not like a lot of those eighties comedies or nineties comedies where it's, you know, very pop culture based. 
these are just silly movies with silly pratfalls that always work and cool. attractive people at the center that understand how to deliver a punchline. Awesome. Um, bring in a baby. Just tremendous. An absolute yeah. masterpiece of, of, the, <laughs> of the craft. I'll, I'll get around to it. I, Howard Hawks is, a, is actually a little bit of a blind spot for me, honestly. And I, I don't know why I haven't seen more of his films. That might be a fun podcast, too. I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. Little yeah. Howard Hawks pod. I don't know if you have to include some of the notable films he produced, but I mean, he's primarily known as a producer, right? Or is he, or is he more of a director? I guess no, he's he, both. I mean, he, he made a, he made a bunch, okay, um, okay. you know, Red River, Rio Bravo is a, is a favorite of Tarantino's. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he, he worked in a lot of genres, did, did some Westerns, did some comedies, um, just like a studio guy, like back in the day where it's just here, Howard, here's a script. Yeah. Make it good. Shit. We don't have enough of that anymore. What am I talking about? He's directed a shit ton of movies. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. The big sleep. Yeah, that's right. I love, I love, okay. So there's, there's one, there's one. His girl Friday. I really love the big sleep. Okay. Uh, damn Hawks. Let's do it next week. You want to do a Hawks pod? Let's do it. All right. He did the original Scarface, I think. Yeah, I know he did. Yeah. Uh, Produced by Howard Hughes. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Man, Howard Hughes is an interesting cat. Weird, weird <laughs> dude. <laughs> Wanted that movie made. I don't know. I don't know what that movie's actually like. Never uh, seen it. Yeah, I haven't either. Mm. Um, okay. That's an idea. Yeah, let's let, let's uh, file that one away. Adam? Yeah? There's a major motion picture releasing in the comfort of everyone's homes this weekend. Okay. It's called Coming to America. Uh, Can I just say I don't like the title? Yeah, I don't care for it. Yeah, it's really annoying, actually. (laughs) Do not care for it. I have not uh, gotten a chance to watch the movie yet. Maybe by next week I will have a review for you. Um, I have not heard glowing things. I've heard mixed things. I haven't heard like negative things per se. Uh, like, but no, it's not something anybody was asking for. I guess aside from Eddie Murphy. Well, Eddie Murphy's accountants, I think. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's ten children were yeah, asking Jesus for coming Christ. to America. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good for him. It's I, I I I don't know. It's nice to see Eddie still doing work. You know. Because I, I, I was watching Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee the other night and watched his episode. And it's just wonderful. Yeah. You know, it's just like the coolest dude imaginable. I, re- I, I it, it, it was sort of unfortunate to see him sort of fade away the way that he did. But f- for a guy like that to fade away is it's like a sin to me. He's back, though. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. He's back. I think Dolomite, you can consider that a legitimate comeback. Right? Yeah, I would. I would. I would. That's I a just, good movie. I, yeah, it is a good movie. I don't want him to, to to lose the momentum so soon, though, is the thing. Yes. I just don't. Um, they're going to do Beverly Hills Cop 4, evidently. Yep. We'll see about this stand-up special. We'll see what it looks like. I don't know how long he's been working on this material. Because I don't think he was doing clubs like over the last 20 years. I don't think he was just like popping up in the comedy cellar. 
well, doing mentioned- a quick set. <laughs> That's a good time. I love the comedy seller. Uh, but he mentioned that he's like, yeah, I need to get back into it, but I need to actually do little mini sets. Like I'm going to the gym. I'm like, yes. well, yeah, <laughs> I haven't heard anything about it. So what's going on, man? Get to it. He's been out of the game for a while. He was supposed to film that thing last year is what I read. Um, yeah. But of course, COVID hit. So maybe he's using that as an excuse. Um the guy is just, I don't know, far from me to besmirch the great name of Eddie Murphy, who is one of my <laughs> heroes, but a little lazy. A little lazy, you think? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I think particularly in the years of 2001 to 2016, I, I would say a little lazy. He seems like someone who is just dispirited from some of it, though. I, when he was talking about um, um, when he got really famous and really rich... Um, and everyone just loved who he was. He talked about this instance where he went up on stage and just stood there and didn't say anything for like five minutes and the audience laughed anyway. And he was just so annoyed at the fact that he could go up there and do absolutely nothing and they would still find it funny. I watched Delirious again the other day and he was 22 years old when he shot that thing. Uh And this was, I think, 1983. He's been on SNL now for three three years i think he was 19 or 20 when he started in 1980 and he had just i think it was after trading places had come out or it was around the same time because trading places came out in 83 too but 48 hours was already out and the crowd in this giant arena for a 22 year old kid that had done two movies and a couple like snl characters is staggering Mm -hmm. like that is not the type of crowd a 22 year old gets no the guy was so good out of the gate. Like you think about guys like Louis C.K. or Bill Burr or, you know, dudes that made it really made it in their forties and fifties and like got the biggest crowds of their career after doing this for 20 years. Like you contrast that experience with the experience of Eddie Murphy. It's like, I understand how you didn't come out the other side with some like semblance of artistic integrity not to say that dolomite is my name isn't good not to say that coming to america won't be good or that beverly hills cop 4 won't be good but it's easy to burn out when you are that famous and that adored that early yep i know that was exactly my thought it's like what do you what would you rather have the one where you start out uh like like amazing and every single person loves you on planet earth or you have sort of this nice comfortable respectable incline into into something great i don't know yeah, hundred percent. I don't. Know. I don't know how a guy like Eddie Murphy though does the road for fifteen years. You know what I mean? Like I, like that guy. It's amazing how good he was. Like he did Mr. Robinson when he was like twenty years old. <laughs> he had that character. It's like one of the great characters in all of sketch comedy. <laughs> yep. How do you come up with that? The amount of voices he could do, the ear that he had, not just for impressions, but his ability to construct a joke, and the fact that he could do anything he mm-hmm. true and he still can do anything you know a lot of people compare him to richard pryor a lot of people compare him to contemporarily like dave Chappelle, chris rock guys like that and yes there is certainly some richard pryor influence in eddie and there is some eddie murphy influence in dave Chappelle. but this guy's old school man this guy is like jerry lewis renaissance man swiss army knife I can do sketch. I can do stand up. I can act. Mm-hmm. I can sing. Like yeah. I am an old school Hollywood guy where I can do everything Any. that's mm-hmm. asked of me and I can do it better than anyone I'm sharing <laughs> the stage with. No, I agree. I don't think 
when, when rewatching a lot of his movies and even browsing through some of his stand-up in preparation for the show, I was noticing, I'm like, he doesn't move the same way at all, but like he has that Robin Williams range. Yes. He really honestly does. And I think that's fascinating because beforehand I'm like, yeah, no one could do Robin Williams, but I'm like, you know, the, Eddie Murphy's in that same vein. He really is. Oh, uh, yeah. They're both like Mount Rushmore guys in that respect. But I'm not even kidding. Until rewatching these movies, it never really occurred to me. I kind of needed to marathon these movies to get that that indicator. It was interesting. And holy shit, rewatching the like like there was a couple on here that I'd seen for the first time. But I was like, wow, man, this guy in the 80s. I just fucking love Eddie Murphy so much. Holy shit. What a what a mountain of a human being. It's the it's I think the greatest run of it's great of big screen comedies. I mean, I guess Jim Carrey had a big run. Robin, not it was a it was sustained over several decades, but he had a couple stretches in there where, mm-hmm. yeah, he got a couple Oscar nominations for comedies. Um, Eddie, I think, was nominated for a Golden Globe for four out of these five movies that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, not only was he the most bankable star in his mid twenties, he had the highest grossing R rated movie of all time at the time, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, but he was also getting critical attention and he also saved SNL. Like Lauren Michaels had just left. It was after (laughs) the first five seasons. They brought on a completely different cast. None of it worked except for Eddie. And he's doing all of these great characters in the midst of SNL's worst period is hosting SNL. In fact, he's still the only cast member to ever host Saturday night live while still a cast member. Oh, that's cool. It's this cool story. 48 Hours was coming out. Nick Nolte was supposed to host the show, and he got, like, really sick that week. Oh, I see. And so they were looking for a fill-in. They're like, oh, why can't Eddie just do it? He's in the movie with Nick, and he does it, ends up hosting it twice as he's a cast member. Uh, I think, like, the joke he said at the beginning, or the announcer at the beginning of the show said, and it's the Eddie Murphy show, hosted by Eddie Murphy. Um the guy is just holding the weight of the world on his shoulders in yeah. everything he's in. Some of the movies are good. Some of them are better than others. Yeah. I don't think every script on this list is perfect, but he is consistently the best part of every single movie he's in. And sometimes he saves the movie he's in. Oh God, absolutely. There's, there's, mm, I don't know. It, like I'm trying to like map out these movies in my head. There's, there's maybe one for sure where that's the case. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the guy is, uh, the guy is a freak of nature. Yep. It was he, a freak. I mean, I guess he still is, but it's just different. It's just, you can different. still do it. I mean, listen, he, that episode of Saturday night live he did two years ago was the best Saturday night live episode I'd seen in like a decade. Cool. So, so I mean, yes, it was not the same Mr. Robinson we're used to, but like Mr. Robinson at half speed is still the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> what do you expect anyway at this point? Yeah. yeah. By the way, dude does not age. <laughs> Holy shit. This guy, he's going to be 60, I think, in a year. Do you realize that? The guy I think is going to be 60 years old. He looks like he's in his late 40s. <laughs> Black don't crack. Holy shit. Like I thought Will Smith was an aging like, fuck right. that. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, d- yeah it's it's ridiculous but again he started so young though yeah yeah that's true that's true that's true he had the biggest movies of 1982 1983 and 1984 and he's only 60 now mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like yep mary tyler moore won an oscar in 1960 <laughs> in 1980 did i say 62 of 82 i'm sorry yeah. uh mary tyler moore was winning oscars then like you know like it was 
it is still considered like a a, a bygone era. Like, yep. and the man just persisted. He persisted through the eighties, persisted through the nineties. Stars in movies that our generation loves, not just our parents, but like our peers grew up watching Nutty Professor, uh, Doctor Doolittle. Shrek, I guess we can talk about. You have to talk about Shrek, dude. It's a big part of Shrek. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yep. He he was nominated for supporting actor for Dreamgirls, so there's also that. That's true. Um, and did not win. He no. notoriously lost to Alan Arkin that year and stormed oh. out. He, he did? He left the show oh, after wow. Alan Arkin beat him. Damn. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I guess I don't have to be here for this. <laughs> Because he won the Golden Globe, and I think he won the SAG, too. Oh, really? So he came into it. It's like, okay, this is the Eddie Murphy coronation. I would be pissed off, too. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, yeah, but you're 100% right. Has been nominated for five Golden Globes throughout his life. Never won. Uh, 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Nutty Professor, Dream Girls, and Dolomite is my name. That's actually six. There you go. Six Golden Globe nominations, one Oscar nomination. Uh, they actually snubbed him, I thought, for the for the Oscar nom for Dolomite because he's very yeah. good in that movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Damn. Um, and yeah, a legend. Just just a titan of everything. Influenced stand up. Influenced yep. sketch. Influenced acting. Influenced cinema. Um, and we're here talking about five of his '80s movies. This is specifically Eddie Murphy in his '80s mm-hmm. or in the '80s. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, I did uh, want to write down the the films that we did not nominate here. Okay. Uh, there are three other ones that uh, came out in the 80s. Uh, a movie called Best Defense in 1984 is not a lead in that movie. It's a Dudley Moore vehicle that I think he had a cameo in. It tested very poorly with test audiences. And so they decided to up his role. And I think like he's on the poster, but he's not like a really big part of that. Oh, but it, again, they were just sort of riding the wave. Golden Child in 1986 is like this action comedy. It's very 80s. I haven't seen it, um, but it's one of the less critically acclaimed uh, Eddie vehicles. And Harlem Nights, 1989, oh. Richard Pryor co-starred, and he also wrote and directed that movie. Oh, cool. Starred, wrote, and directed um, and then you have just, you know, a bunch of movies in the 90s. Again, another 48 hours. Walter Hill reunites with Eddie in 1990. Boomerang in 92 is a movie that people love. I have not seen it. I have not seen it either. It's a rom-com with Halle Berry. Apparently, it's just dope. And I, I need to check that out. Uh, and then, you know, gets a little rocky. <laughs> the Distinguished Gentleman in 92. Beverly Hills Cop 3 is yeah. awful. Yeah. It's a 94. Bad. Did you see Vampire in Brooklyn? No. That's Have a you? Wes Craven joint. Is it, what is it? Is it a horror comedy? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what Wes Craven always wanted to make. Not horror co- He Wes Craven always wanted to make romance films. So, you know, there you go. Yeah. Uh, apparently it does not work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Nutty Professor in 96 is a, is a definitely a hit. Um, then he had a bunch of, you know, Metro in 97, are you a Dr. Doolittle fan, personally? <laughs> yes, I am. A, okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not of the sequels. I've seen the second one, and I didn't care for it. Uh, yeah, I don't mind that first one. It's kind of funny. You okay. know, Chris Rock is a guinea pig. Dude, come on. <laughs> Chris Rock is a guinea pig? Fuck yeah. 
Chris Rock's uh, cinematic debut we're going to be talking about in a second. I know. That's right. I, I had a feeling it was, too. I d- it's one of those moments where, where it's like, I, I don't know if this is his cinematic debut. I'm just going to assume it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mulan was in 98. He had that voice performance. Holy Man in 98 as well. Uh, Life apparently is pretty good. That's directed by Ted Demi, Jonathan Demi's nephew. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, that was in 99. I heard that was okay. Bowfinger. Have you seen Bowfinger? No, 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 no. You'd like it. I've heard of it. I heard it's all right. Yeah. Frank Oz directs Steve Martin's script, and then Eddie co stars with Steve Martin. It's really fun. Cool. N- 1999. Uh, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. <laughs> um, okay. Shrek is in 2001. Really, uh, I, would you say reinvents the animated genre? Yep. I would. It's probably one of Eddie's like last like great films that he did. And then Shrek 2 is really good, too. I like Shrek 2. As is Shrek 4D. There's Oh, yeah, there's Shrek 4D. <laughs> Have you seen Shrek 4D? Of course. I've, I've, I haven't seen past two. I think I saw that shit in the theater. Oh, my God. They did a limited release of that thing with, like, the smell-o-vision or whatever. Oh, that's right. You told me about that. Yeah, that the, and they put it out because I was a big Shrek fan. Yeah, as a kid, and I I remember them like advert. I think it was it was only a fifteen minute short, but somehow they scammed parents into paying money to take their kids to this thing. Uh, I don't remember the plot of it. <laughs> it probably wasn't very good. Um, and then you just have total fucking stinkers in the early two thousands. Yeah, Showtime, which you did with Robert De Niro in two thousand two, Adventures of Pluto Nash, I Spy with oh, Owen God. Wilson. That's right. Haunted Mansion in 03. Yeah. Um, Daddy Daycare is okay, I guess. Norbit in 07. <laughs> Meet Dave in 08. Imagine that. Tower Heist, a thousand words. Mr. Yeah. Church. <laughs> None of these are good. <laughs> he does do Dream Girls in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he true. does Dolomite. So I, I, I think he's back. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got a little rocky there in the 2000s, okay, as it clear. did for all of us. Too bad. As it did for all of us. <laughs> we were fine. You and I were fine in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, we were. We were all right. Yeah. Pop culture was a little funky. You know? Just listening to Britney Spears and watching fucking MTV. I Good. never I never listened to Britney Spears, dude. No, no. Hell no. I was always aware that she was around. I heard all of her songs, if that counts as listening to them. I never listened to them on my own volition. You did not get butterflies in your tummy mm. when you heard the line, it's Britney, bitch? No. <laughs> that mean nothing to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's Britney's bitch meant nothing to you as a child? No. As a young Adam Hall? No. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. We had very different childhoods. Yes, we did. <laughs> it's Brit. Why were you listening to that? That's not for you. Of course it was. What are you talking about? It was. It's I was not- a fucking kid in the two thousands. Of course it was. Yeah, you were a boy in the two thousands. It yeah. wasn't for you. <laughs> and I thought Britney was fucking hot. Okay. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Hit me baby one more time was not for me. If it wasn't for me, I don't know who that was for. (laughs) Okay. Girl girl outfit was not for me. Please. Let's move on. (laughs) Highest grossing Eddie Murphy movie of all time is what? Mm, 
I don't know, Beverly Hills Cop. Close. It's Shrek 2. Oh. <laughs> Close. Fo- followed by Shrek the Third, Shrek, and Shrek Forever After. Oh my God. Beverly Hills Cop is number five. It was the highest grossing R-rated movie at the time of its release, and I think it's still number three if you adjust for inflation. Beverly Hills Cop 2 comes at number six. Dr. Doolittle at number seven. Nutty Professor at eight. Coming to America at nine. And Nutty Professor 2 at ten. Again, just shows you like the the sort of the span of his box office dominance mm. um, was like cash and checks in the 80s and the 2000s as well. The guy was just a box office machine. Yep. Uh, and that's all I got. Should we get into it? Sure. Talk about some movies. 48 Hours is first. 1982's 48 Hours. Directed by Walter Hill. Starring Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy, and James Remar. Also a young Jonathan Banks shows up. More on that in a bit. (laughs) A hard-nosed cop reluctantly teams up with a wise-cracking criminal temporarily paroled to him in order to track down a killer. This is uh, a movie in one of my favorite subgenres, which is guys that are always angry at each other. <laughs> oh, that's a, a subgenre? I didn't realize that. Every character in this movie is mad at each other all the time. Yep. And it is delightful. What do you think of this movie? Was this the first time you watched it? No, no, I've seen this before. It's great. It's great. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's... It's a little, I guess it's a little disappointing we're starting off here because this is my favorite movie on the list. Word. Yeah, it's it's pretty fantastic. Good old Walter Hill, director of The Warriors, uh, producer of Alien, all those great things. Director you of know? Brewster's Millions. Oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> Richard Pryor vehicle. Oh boy, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, and his movies are really nasty and disgusting and they're rough and they are always dealing with very difficult like racial politics for some reason mm-hmm. um, in, in a pretty adequate way, I would say. And this movie is fucking dope in every conceivable way. When I think of dope, I think of 48 hours. And um, I, it's, it's funny. This will be sort of a running theme with a couple of the movies we're going to talk about, but this to me is, I don't think it's very funny (laughs) personally. Yeah. This is, and I was, there were two movies on this list that I did see for the first time. And I was sort of stunned by how unfunny they were to me. But the thing, the thing that really carries it over, if you're looking for any sense of humor in it is that I'll put it this way. The movies aren't funny, but Eddie Murphy is funny. Yeah. And that's the difference. Exactly. The, the world surrounding Eddie Murphy in this movie in particular is awful and you don't want any part in it. And it's the most disgusting depiction of San Francisco I've ever seen in my life. Beating out Dirty Harry, if you can believe it. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> um, but it's wonderful. And it, it's it's also a great San Francisco film. Let me just clarify. <laughs> it's Terrific. also just. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful. It's also just a great hard boiled neo-noir film. I had a blast with it. Yeah. When I. First yeah. Saw it. <laughs> I, I think if you're going into this for the first time and you're expecting an Eddie Murphy comedy in the like traditional sense. Yeah. You're going to be kind of disappointed because this is like in line with the French connection. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's very like, like Popeye Doyle esque 
Like, <laughs> well, Nick Nolte is Popeye Doyle-esque, yeah. I would say. Like, it's a grimy, gross, loud, explosive, yeah. like, kind of cruel. comedy. It can be really mean. This is a mean movie at times. Certainly. And the racial stuff does not always hold up in that department. Well, I, although a lot of it is intentional. Yes. I mean, there there's some there's some rough lines. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like the stuff with like the watermelon and the, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the N word is dropped a little too liberally, I think, in this one. But um, yeah, it, the movie doesn't pull punches. And I think no. like that's what's so refreshing about it. I think you go into this if you've even seen something like Beverly Hills Cop, mm-hmm. which is, a, I think, what we now think of as an Eddie Murphy vehicle. Um, yeah, you're not going to get it here. You're going to get like something like Dirty Harry. Uh, you're going to get like a really nasty, mean spirited movie where cops are angry at each other and they are screaming at each other all the fucking time. They're screaming over the phone. They're screaming (laughs) in the office. They're screaming at home. They're screaming to their lovers. They're screaming to their wives. They're screaming to their friends. Everybody's mad all the fucking time. Nobody likes each other in this world. And I adore movies like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. It's just delightful. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just this like, like, like steaming hot movie. It's, it's very uncomfortable actually. A lot of the time, like you, you really don't like get cozy and watch 48 hours. Like I, <laughs> I think of like the scene where it, towards the beginning where Mike Airman trout gets killed. I'm just going to say <laughs> Mike Airman trout. Uh, Jonathan Banks shows up in two movies. <laughs> yep. We're talking about this week, this week. It's crazy. It's awesome. But like that scene is like very upsetting <laughs> to me anyway, because yeah. it's like uncomfortable as it is when they have to break into the woman's house and you're not sure what the guy's thinking, if he's going to kill the woman or rape her or what. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately it just boils down to our, our our heroes getting held at gunpoint only for one guy to sadistically kill his friend. And it's like, OK, movie. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect that. Right. Uh, I remember like distinctly when I first saw that, like just being thrown really off guard by it, because I think I did come into it with the mindset that it was an Eddie Murphy vehicle. But in a way, when he's introduced, the movie makes a lot more sense to me. So, yeah. So initially, this was supposed to be a Richard Pryor thing. Um, okay. And, and Richard Pryor had to drop out and they replaced him with Eddie. Um, and it, it was, you know, according to Walter Hill, it was Richard Pryor that sort of paved the way for a movie like this to get made. It, it was, you know, kind of a, a, a risky proposition to put a black lead at the center of this sort of story. I mean, Sidney Potier had made In the Heat of the Night, I guess. Um, but like that was like an oscar winning like you know american classic and this one is sort of like a a garbage 80s movie and i mean that in the best way possible yeah um but uh you know that was the 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 initial idea like it was going to be a hard-boiled cop drama but we're gonna have some comic relief with Pryor. and i look i i love richard Pryor, and i think he's the greatest stand-up comic of all time i i don't love him as an actor all the time i think he would have been a little too sticky in this Mm mm-hmm like, I think he would have just with that mustache and the voice, like he just would have done his Richard Pryor thing here. And what Eddie does, and I think it's brilliant, is he is both the funniest guy in the room, but you also buy him as a real character. And at no point is he making fun of the movie. He is an organic part of this movie and he belongs in this world. Yep. Uh, when he shows up, it kind of becomes a comedy. Like when he is singing Roxanne in the jail cell, 
it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yep. But also, like, you understand who this character is. You understand his place in the world. Mm-hmm. And you also understand his savvy. And you buy his savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene in the Honky Tonk, obviously, is the most iconic in the in the whole movie. Maybe the most iconic of his entire career. But, like, that scene where he says to the guy, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm an N-word with a badge. That's a great line. It's like, oh, a star is born. Like, like, like if you did not know who Eddie is, maybe you had never seen an episode of Saturday Night Live, and you're seeing this thing in 1982 for the first time. It's like, bro, this guy can literally do anything. Mm-hmm. And he is simultaneously contributing to a movie that has a really competent cast and a really competent crew behind the scenes, but is also molding it in his own image. Yeah, I agree. It's command. And we're, I, I, I want to, I want to save like my feelings on him as, as a sort of an, an actor with range and being able to play multiple parts for Beverly Hills cop. But like in that scene, like, cause you think it's going to be hilarious. At least I did. And then to see him like take over the room, the way that he does is actually really startling. But in, again, in a very, very good way, I've never seen so many backwards ass country fucks in my life, <laughs> So good. <laughs> which is an equally like funny as hell, but intimidating ass line. Like, whoa, boy. Um, yeah. I just like, like, like again, also his control of that character, like the way he sings Roxanne to taking the conversation very seriously when they start talking about gains. Mm. It's like, yeah, no, I, I'm in on this too, man. And I need to get him just as much as you do, but you need to get me the fuck out of here. Right. And how quickly you buy that character. Cause the Roxanne thing is very, very silly, mm. but I completely understand his shift when the conversation gets to why he wants to get, uh, Eddie Murphy out of there. It was wonderful. So yeah, I, 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 you know, I just think with a lot of these movies, like, like they're just totally surprising. Uh, I, I, this one, this one in particular, like, like, like I, I'm kind of going in circles again, but just not expecting the Eddie to kind of go where he goes and to start out like this. Cause I think at this point he was still kind of known as the comedian, but to see him play this character so competently is, I don't know. I think if you're going to come out and show everybody who you are, this is kind of the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, he's actually a more believable cop than Nick Nolte. <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. You know? And Nick Nolte's unbelievable in the movie. Yeah, too. I agree. I, I want to say that. And Walter Hill knows how to use him, which is mm. what's so great. Like, this is a movie with perfect casting. Yes. Um, yes. And, and to be able to nail these two guys down is is really a marvel. You know, it's, it's I, I hate to take a stray shot at Scorsese here, but it's like one <laughs> of the reasons why Cape Fear doesn't work is the reason that this movie works. And it's because... Scorsese tries casting Nick Nolte as like this meek, like suburban husband. It's like, and I, dad. I, I like Cape Fear, but Nick Nolte is a bulldog and yeah. should always be cast as a bulldog. And that's that. He sounds like a bulldog. <laughs> so he's too tall. And yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> he's too fucking tall for that role. <laughs> yes. Like you'd almost rather them switch the De Niro and Nick Nolte roles. They could honestly, yeah. When you think about it, like Nick, no, it, I it's thought just, about that. Yeah, um, but you know, here it's just perfect. He is just a like steaming pile of machismo, yep. and he's just radiating masculine energy the whole time. <laughs> um, and it is certainly for um, a very particular type of film goer. Uh, mm. I'm I'm not sure it's a great date movie. Forty eight no, hours. No, no, no. It's dude. This movie's filthy. Yeah. It's filthy and it's dreadful. And 
also emphasized very very well by the music. The music in this movie is really, really good, particularly towards the end when they're going down the alleyway to get the guy. Slaps. Yeah, man. It's great. So. Yeah, it's it's a sensory overload type experience, too. It, like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. The music, the stunts, the sort of like, yeah, the grittiness of the camera. Um, that sense and, of place. Yeah, and the performances. Um, these two have unbelievable chemistry. Uh, it's, it's look, it is it is his first movie, and I, I don't know if it's his best performance. I think there are more impressive performances still to come. Yep. But it is definitely the, like, I have arrived performance. Um and yeah, I, I understand why this would be your favorite. Um, yep. I don't know if it's my favorite. It might be. I think I'd like one of these movies a little bit more. But it, yeah, I think it's definitely in my top two. It's just awesome. It's just an awesome, awesome movie. I don't mind the dirtiness of it. I mean, I kind of invite the dirtiness. It's a little more flavorful for me. Mm-hmm. And again, just feels like a more complete experience. So the world certainly feels more complete in that way. Because if they got too silly with Eddie, it just wouldn't have worked. Yeah. I, I'm glad that he also understood the movie that they were making. So that's right. important. So, yeah. Um, also, I, if we're talking about influence, this is not necessarily the first buddy cop movie, but it helped popularize the genre yeah. for sure. Um, Shane Black doesn't exist without 48 hours. Nope. You know, that n- none of those late 80s, early 90s buddy cop movies exist. No. Uh, I think technically the first buddy cop movie, I read this in my research, is this movie called Freebie and the Bean. Oh. which is starring James Conn and Alan Arkin from, I think, 1972. Interesting. Um, so th- they were making these movies, certainly, but um, this movie was a massive hit and I think went on to change the landscape of cinema. Cool. I love it. I absolutely love it. Would you watch a Safdie Brothers remake of this movie? Yes. Well, they've talked about it, and apparently they're not doing it anymore. What? And that upsets me. They're pretty great for this material. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're pretty perfect for this material. I heard that. I'm like wow. right into my veins. I mean, who else is like good for this? Um, here's, here's the thing about some of these action directors. We'll talk about this when we get to Tony Scott. And, you know, I consider Tony Scott, Michael Bay, all like the Jerry Bruckheimer guys. I sort of consider them under that same umbrella like they do a lot of handheld action and there's a lot of like grittiness to the camera, but not all of them understand like that sort of urban sense of place in the way that the Safties do or in the way that Walter Hill did or in the way that like William Freakin did. No, you know, uh, it's well, especially what we'll get to what my feelings on, uh, uh, Beverly Hills cop too, but especially with someone like, like Michael Bay, there's just a, there's just a disconnect with like the character of the the scene, I guess. I mean, the Safety Brothers, just that jewelry shop and uncut gems, it, that is a character. It feels right. like a person in the way it, it moves and the way the system operates, just by the the way the door has to open and the comedy that comes out of that. Mm. You know, they understand that every little bit of this crammed, disgusting world is also influencing the characters, so they know how to play off of that. Um, Tony Scott's not interested in that and neither is Michael Bay and they're just kind of interested in the pretty image and sort of the like it's some of it's good and there's a lot of formalism to it but it's almost I don't know there, there's in some of Tony Scott's movies not all of them but some of them there is a lack of personality to the space I agree it's a little sloppy too I think like in Walter Hill's case there is a sleekness to the chaos if that makes any sense 
where it's like it's controlled chaos and the Safties same sort of thing you know well at times I would almost say the same about Tony Scott that was kind of my feelings is like it gets very sleek to me at times but the issue is that like again it feels removed from you know just sort of the the, the personality of all the other characters particularly Eddie Murphy it's like something feels out of place here that might be a script thing but we'll talk about that when we get to it mm-hmm. next up Trading Places oh yeah Directed by John Landis. Starring Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And I believe her first big studio picture. Was it? I think so. Hmm. I think she had just done like horror movies. When did this come out? 84. It did? Yeah. What would she have done before that? I'm not really sure. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I think this was like her first uh let me let me check on that real quick here. Jamie Lee Curtis um obviously True Lies was in the 90s. Yeah, uh she was the narrator in Escape from New York. So she was ba- yeah, Prom Night in 1980, The Fog. Yeah, it was just like horror stuff, like schlocky horror stuff. Halloween 2 obviously. And then trading places. I'm sorry, eighty three is trading places. Okay. So this is definitely her first like sort of mainstream comedy. Fish called Wanda was eighty eight. Yeah. So this was uh, uh, yeah. That was my only other thought because I thought Fish called Wanda was later too. So not really her coming out party, but uh, yeah, her first like uh, mainstream flick. Nominated for best original score at the Academy Awards, a snobbish investor and wily street con artist find their positions reversed as part of a bet. By two callous millionaires. Best original score? Yes. That's weird. I don't remember a thing about the music in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's not particularly notable. Yeah. It's like, what? Okay. All right. Whatever. (laughs) Is this your first time watching this movie? No. Okay. I think this is my favorite on the list. Really? I think so. Yeah. I think this is my number one. Really? Okay, I mean, I like the movie, but, like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far for me, personally. It's just, like, a really efficient comedy in the way that they don't make them anymore. <laughs> they, yeah, I, I suppose. You know, like, this script just sings. It yeah. pops. You know, it howls. And, like, it doesn't have that sort of meat on the bone that a lot of John Landis movies do specifically coming to America, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Like that's definitely a movie that's a little more rough around the edges. People I think have a fonder connection to coming to America and it's more of like a cult classic for maybe some of those reasons. But this one is just like pros doing pro shit. I agree with that. Yeah. And that's what I love. It's a script that has something to say. And it's not like totally original. It's like Prince and the Popper shit. You know, Mark Twain covered it like a hundred years earlier. And like, you know, I, I I read Roger Ebert's review. He compares it to like a lot of like the Frank Capra movies and Preston Sturgis movies of the Hollywood golden age. And so it's not like reinventing the wheel here, but everybody in this movie is fantastic at what they do. Eddie is great, but doesn't distract from the story at any point. No, neither does Dan Aykroyd. It's got a nice message. It's got good laughs. It's Landis doing Landis things. And 
I'm just a sucker for we were just talking about it with bringing up baby. I'm a sucker for watching pros do their thing. Okay. And this this movie just holds up in so many regards. Yeah, I agree. It was it was it was fun. It's a fun movie for me. It's not yeah, I I I wasn't like like I don't know. I I don't think it's my favorite just because I I wasn't laughing as much as I had hoped. Okay. You know, when I when I first saw it, I mean, a lot of it for me is just like like I I always want to get back to either the scene with Eddie Murphy and then get rid of Dan Aykroyd. I'm fine with just Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of my thing, I guess. I could take or leave Dan Aykroyd in this movie. He's sometimes okay. He's not like my favorite thing about it, but Jamie Lee Curtis is just the best thing in the world. Every time I, I, I'm deliberating on like who my favorite actresses are, I always have to remind myself to go back to her because fuck yes, I love her so much. You, you get a look at her bosom in this movie. She has some of the nicest breasts I've ever seen. <laughs> some of the nicest breasts. I mean, those were... <laughs> You reminded me of the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when you said that. Why? It's like you leaned over. Those are the greatest breasts I've ever seen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jamie Lee Curtis. Just like a real <laughs> adoration and just like respect for the breasts. They are incredible. You know why? Because they're real. <laughs> you can just tell. It's true. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I I don't know why I'm muted on this one because I do like the movie. It's a lot of fun. I'm just like, uh, I I I don't know. I don't know. It, it it wasn't nearly as as profound for me. I just thought it was like a fun time. I guess. I I, I suppose I love what are, what are the guys name the old dudes? Uh, the the Dukes. Don Amici and yeah, Don Amici and and Ralph Bellamy. Because when it comes to comedy, the, they're honestly the funniest parts of the movie to me. Oh, they're great. Their arrogance and their utter, <laughs> just how just blatantly evil these guys are is so funny to me. It's But like so authentically so. They sell every ridiculously evil line that they're given. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, when it comes to them, yeah, I, I was, because I wasn't like cracking up over everything even Eddie Murphy was doing at the beginning when he's in the, the scooter. That's fucking crazy. Oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. I can walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, but when he has to, I, I, and maybe this is the point though, like where he has to get serious and he has to play someone who could be a sophisticated rich man. So he's inherently, he's not going to be as funny and that, that plays to the character. Uh, but yeah, like, like I was kind of jumping all over the place in terms of like where my enjoyment was falling. It's like, is it this character or is it that, that character? Uh, but all in all, it's a worthwhile experience. And I think that third act is just incredible, by the way. Yeah. Ackroyd definitely gets all of the big lines. Yeah, um, I'm, not, I'm just which not, is unusual. It's it's unusual. I'm just not nearly as crazy about him. I do like Jim Belushi. <laughs> yeah, he lot. shows up like briefly, right? Yeah, he shows weird. up for the third act as the guy fucking up their the schemes, kind of as the monkey. Right, that was good stuff. I'm not a huge fan of that scene. It's it's pretty great. <laughs> like Al Franken as like the the gorilla tamer. Right. And, and like, I don't know, the the blackface Isn't there blackface in that scene. There is blackface. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's weird. It's a little weird. The gorilla it, fucking uh, the bestiality like I, it's, I, that it's definitely to me, weird. it was a little too goofy. And again, I thought the movie up until that point, it, it definitely it, it goes broad with some of its laughs, but it's not it that broad. Is, 
right. I mean, I mean, it is still a pretty like smart story that's fairly grounded. And like the second they get into bestiality jokes, it's like, all right, guys, let's move it along. Like that that whole train car scene for me is the weakest part of the movie. I'm but you're right, was- I do like when Jim Belushi shows up. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for it to get that silly because the re- a lot of the movie in between there is just sort of funny and it's, it's like spotty with its with its comedy and it's like not every line kind of worked for me. All the characters work though. That's why it's enjoyable at the end right. of the day. It's like even if I'm not like laughing out loud, these people are super entertaining yeah. and the situation that they're thrown in is just inherently funny. I really just, I, I just love that that concept and even though it's not necessarily original that John Landis knows how to play it up. Yeah, the the like over the top racism of the two yeah. old guys is hysterical. Like yeah. it's really fucking funny. It's, I mean, it's terrible, but my God, like it's just like, it's just like <laughs> you can't help but laugh. Yeah. You it, really can't. No, it's it like when he, when, when, when the guys pull up in their limo and Eddie had just been bailed out yep. and the guy's got a bottle of whiskey and he just starts wagging it at him. Like he's oh a dog, like it's, whiskey, it's whiskey. Fucking- so bad. As if that would work to lure him in. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say later on? He's like, uh, they're very musical people. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that, they, Jesus Christ. No, they are the funniest characters in the movie. They're yeah. just so absurd. And they show up later. We'll get to that. We will. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that. Yeah. Uh, but boy, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting kind of uh, experience for me. I, it's it's more of one of those movies that I can just kind of flip on casually. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't like watch it in, in its entirety. You know, if, uh, whenever it's on, usually it's just kind of there, and I and I and I enjoy its place for that. It's yeah. a Christmas movie too, so it's getting yeah. a lot of play for that reason. I, I it is a really good movie. I'm sorry I'm being so muted about it. It's just like yeah, it's it's not as like profoundly moving <laughs> for me personally, I guess. But it's 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 quite good. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of funny that it's not being brought up after all this Wall Street bet stuff. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Everybody's talking Big Short mm-hmm. and how the Big Short like predicted this. Like, no, it turns out this Eddie Murphy Dan Aykroyd movie from '83 <laughs> predicted what was happening with uh, with insider trading on Wall Street and how if just one guy from the street can learn a little bit of the game, he can mm-hmm. he can own all of the billionaires. Uh, you know, in many ways, like what was happening with Wall Street bets, that's what happened here. Yep. Evidently, during the Occupy Wall Street stuff, I did not realize this, there was a congressional hearing into insider trading, and they ended up referencing this film in one of those hearings, being oh like, hey, God. if these guys can do this with orange juice futures, like, obviously, it can happen on real Wall Street. Um, and I think to this day, it's it that law is nicknamed the trading places rule. Is it? Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Cool. So they had cool. to actually, you know, it was an anti uh, insider trading piece of legislation. So, um, wow. yeah, like the, this stuff like still holds up. It's kind of like a timeless yeah, idea of nature versus nurture. And, you know, it it is perhaps like an overly simplistic look at race relations. And it does sort of end with a, a nice, neat bow. Like, it oh, does. like the poor black guy and the rich white guy learn to accept each other's differences yep um but yeah, it's it's fine yeah it's it, it's uh it's good shit and it's smart shit and uh this isn't the hateful eight you know it's <laughs> it's not that complicated yeah. it's not trying to be i don't know if hateful eight is my go-to for like the complexity of race in america eh, i don't like the movie that i mean i you know the movie's fine but it's it's a fine example of that i guess <laughs> I've grown to like that movie more. 
Nick loves that movie, though. Yeah, I know. Nick's takes, man. Those takes are unbelievable. Isn't so, it his favorite? It's his favorite now, right? Favorite Tarantino movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hateful Eight. Has he, how many has he seen? Uh, most of them. Really? Yeah. I burnt what? myself on that take when he handed it to me. Wow. I don't think what? he's seen Jackie Brown, but I think or the Kill Bills, but he's seen the other ones. I don't think he'll come on the Kill Bills or the uh, Jackie Brown side personally, but that's Loki, your favorite, isn't it? <laughs> it's amongst my favorite. I think it's like number like like three or four or something. It creeps up by the year though. Every <laughs> year it moves up just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, I caught it on uh on TV a little while ago and, and I'm just watching the opening kind of reference to the graduate except a black exploitation version, and I'm yeah. like it's so good it's when she's so on good. the yeah when she's on the the moving sidewalk it's wonderful <laughs> yeah it's 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 great great music in that movie yeah i flipped it on about a month ago too and it, it was the scene where sam jackson tries killing pam greer it feels like a gun pointed at my dick <laughs> yeah you were gonna kill me it's all right i forgive you <laughs> It's, such, it's really great. I don't care. It's really, really great. I know Tar- it's not Tarantino's favorite. I know that for sure, for a fact. Yeah. yeah. And De Niro in that movie is like unbelievable. <laughs> is she dead? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I love that. Well, you had to do it. You got to do what you got to do. That's such. Oh, that's a great film. All right, next up, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, as we said, I think this is probably Eddie's most iconic role. Yep. Directed by Martin Brest, this picture. A, a guy that just continues to come up and continues to be an enigma on this podcast. He's a great filmmaker, that Martin Brest. Kinda. Kinda is, I guess. I don't know. This is annoying because I, I, <laughs> I know we hate Geely and love it at the same time. Mm. I, I, I'm just stunned that he hasn't done anything. It wasn't fair. The the punishment did not meet the crime with Julie. No. No, and I like Geely sucks, but like it's not so bad where you like if if it's like they, they, they were. I mean it con- is no wait a minute, wait a minute. It is so bad. <laughs> it is bad enough if you'd never done anything and That's you what somehow I'm saying. No, 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 no. talk to studio into giving you money for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez to do that. Yes, I understand that, but it's like they remove context. It's like, okay, we forgot the fact that this guy made uh, Beverly Hills Cop. We forgot that he made uh, even Scent of a Woman, which was uh, not so long before. He's by the rules, this guy. Yeah. Just goes out there and Midnight just Run creates just, superstars. That's yes. what he does. Yes. He goes out and he's like, Beverly Hills Cop, crowd pleaser. Uh, Midnight Run, crowd pleaser. Scent of a Woman, got Pacino his Oscar. Yes. Played by the rules. He's like, look, man, I'm just a studio filmmaker. Hired hand. Yeah. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get money to the studios and Oscars to the actors. Yep. And he does it and he makes one bomb and all of a sudden he's in purgatory. I don't that's, know. That's what I'm talking about. Even Meet Joe Black is fine. It's fine. Never it's not, saw it. Not great, but it's fine. It's not something like, like I think even a lot of people still like that movie. A lot of people like that Brad Pitt performance. Yeah. Um... But yeah, like, okay, if he had never made another movie before Geely, I would understand that completely, actually. But like, it, yeah, I agree. It's 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 too big of a punishment. Yeah. Um, because again, this was a massive success. Yeah. Ghostbusters came out this year. It outgrows Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. 
highest grossing movie in 1984. Created this franchise. Fourth one coming out soon, obviously. Starring Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, Ronnie Cox, and again, Jonathan Banks as the heavy. He's wonderful in this movie. He is. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> Jonathan Banks. Um, nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars, which I think is fascinating because I don't okay. think this script is very good. I don't think it's bad. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't give it the, the nomination, though. That is the wrong nomination for this movie. Put it yes. that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A freewheeling Detroit cop pursuing a murder investigation finds himself dealing with the very different culture of Beverly Hills. This movie was written for Sly Stallone. Sly Stallone did a rewrite of the film, was in pre-production, it was ready to go. There was a dispute over budget, I think, and also like the type of orange juice in his trailer. What? That's at least like the Hollywood fable. I don't know if that's actually what happened. Sly Stallone's got some, he's got some golden nugget stories in there. Yeah. That guy's uh, been up to some shit. So this thing was supposed to be a Sylvester Stallone 80s action movie. You know what you're getting. The script doesn't have to be that good. But that sort of is in development hell. Finally, they're like, oh, this Eddie Murphy kid seems to be very popular with the kids these days. Let's put him in this. Okay. And they do. And he carries this fucking movie on his back up fucking Mount Everest. Yeah. This should have won the Oscar. I don't know who won the Oscar (laughs) in 1984. Come on. It's a wonderful performance. He's amazing in this. It's, I think it's my favorite performance out of all the movies I saw. Yeah. Uh, Here's the funny thing. I was alluding to this earlier. I don't think Eddie Murphy could be in commando (laughs) he's not that kind of action star no he can play a pretty good guy who holds the gun though yeah put him in the right role he very convincingly holds the gun uh he holds the gun a lot better than what i would imagine stallone doing in this movie (laughs) i'm not kidding i think he's marvelous in this movie Yeah, I really I mean, do. He's iconic. It's like the the second you see him and he does that laugh, the hoo 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 laugh. Yep. <laughs> it's like that's movie star shit. It's like you just arrived and you pulled off that laugh. And like yep. immediately that sound is going to be a part of like Hollywood myth now. Yep. yep. Like exactly. like that's the type of performance this is. He he comes in with again fine material. Like I don't remember the plot of this movie. I've seen it a million times. I don't know what the plot of this movie is. It's like it's something with an art dealer, right, that like kills his buddy and yeah, it's it's an art dealer who's smuggling uh, drugs and I think guns and whatnot. I think mostly it's drugs. Uh, and his buddy steals uh, uh, bearer bonds from this guy and as a result kills his buddy. And that gives Axel Foley the uh, uh, motivation to go and get this guy. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's it's not the most convoluted like cop plot line I've ever seen but it, it does get a little messy I'm I, I I'm so used to that though that I don't care mm-hmm. it's like I get into these movies and I just know they're going to be messy plots and that's that it's just the character work that's special and oh boy does this movie have wonderful character work yeah I was having yeah. such a good time man <laughs> I, it's, I, it's, I loved it it's delightful I, I don't think necessarily Martin Brest put his stamp on this material um, but he didn't really have to the thing about the way he directs action and it's kind of funny that he he's directed so many action movies it is like 
he does not insert himself into any of like the chase scenes. And I, I find that pretty refreshing. Like the opening scene in this movie is just cars smashing into each other and you see everything, Yep. you know, and you get a real sense of it just because he put the camera on a dolly and, and started recording. <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much. But that's really all you have to do is you have to facilitate here. All you have to do is not fuck it up because you have Eddie at the center of this True. who is just going to do his thing. Think about this. It's a cop movie and Eddie Murphy doesn't have a partner. No. There's no sidekick. There's there's like 48 hours is in many ways like the archetypal buddy cop movie. So much of that is born out of the chemistry between these two. The conceit of this movie is we're just going to put Eddie on screen and the chemistry with himself is going to be enough. Yep. You know, and it's amazing that this works. It is, you know, such a, like a deliberate choice. And you think like, oh, God, this thing is going to be a slog. Mm-hmm. Um, but only movie stars can carry something like this. Similar to Jack in Chinatown. Oh, yeah. I you agree. know, Jack is just roaming around L.A., just getting into trouble. And it's enough. And in this case, it's totally enough. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like this one where it is made a classic by a performance. Like it is a yeah, fine a movie that yeah. would have been forgotten. And this is now considered like a classic of the eighties and a classic of the genre. I mean, I think it's a good movie. I think it's a really good movie. I do. Th- I don't, I, I agree. I don't think Martin Brest like, like puts a stamp on any one element, but all those elements work very nicely in tandem with one another. And it's just fun. And I do think the supporting cast is really great. Aside from judge Reinhold. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you called him out on your letterbox. I fucking hate judge Reinhold, man. What do you I have against judge Reinhold? everything fuck judge reinhold <laughs> he should not he should never have made movies that's all i have to say uh regardless he is like overwhelmingly the most annoying part of the santa claus franchise oh god well never saw that in in fact we talked about neil his character quite a bit when we did the santathon on why is this a thing um like it's it's kind of hard to tell is it perfect casting or is it like too perfect of casting there is such a thing you know, human centipede has that problem. Yes, certainly. <laughs> As we discussed now. Yeah, man. Like, like I honestly a hundred percent believe everything like judge Reinhold should, should have never stepped in front of a camera. I don't think he's ever worked. Uh, he just gets worse and worse <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, so yeah, there's that. But aside from that, I think the movie is, is basically up there with, with 48 hours. I think it's just wonderful, but you are right about like half the movie just being, carried specifically by eddie and i just keep, i keep going back every time i think of this movie and just the greatness of eddie murphy in it i always think of the scene where he confronts the 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 villain you know mm. and just how perfectly cued every every aspect of his performance is there and how it's like he's still axel foley in that moment but he's could not be more serious in mm. saying i'm gonna fuck you up it just his eddie murphy way and ugh it's actually like kind of compelling to watch there. Yeah. There is some serious pathos in this movie. Like at the beginning where his buddy gets shot, like it's a very like short backstory and they, I think they only share one scene together at the beginning. Right. I mean, they, they go bowling. No, no, no. They're playing pool and they're just kind of hanging out and then they go back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like two scenes, but like you feel that connection at the beginning and you understand why he would have done this. Um, why he would, you know, skip town to to bring these guys to justice um it, it's all very tropey but it, it does work and it is all on the back of that performance I, 
his indignation for everything that's going on, you know, and just for all of these characters bullshit. When yep. he's talking to the art dealer at the beginning of this, it is hysterical. <laughs> um, just watching this guy plop, you know, it's a typical fish out of water. It's the bad cop going into the, the beautiful neighborhood. And mm-hmm. it, it, we've seen it a million times, but <laughs> it is so compelling because it's him at the center. Motherfucker, I just got thrown out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> What's the scene? What's the scene where the, uh, when he's at the customs office or whatever, and he's like, "I've done inspections like this all across the country, and with the exception of Cleveland, this is the worst <laughs> run." <laughs> customs That's, office, with the exception is, of Cleveland. That is one of the most smart-ass lines I've ever heard. It's perfect so delivery. It is perfect delivery. It is How, symphonic. Yep. Yep, I agree. And no, the that, the movie is just that. And we'll get to like my feelings on what he's doing in Beverly Hills Cop 2, but there is just this perfect orchestration of that kind of comedy in this one. And also like an above it all quality that is really satisfying. I, I get annoyed at this one talking about some actors where their above it all quality is really irritating to me, but man, not with Eddie. <laughs> not right. with Eddie at all. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it is so great because, you know, in the 80s particularly like black actors even the best of them even the richard priors of the world or whatever um were you know often cast as just comic relief and that's what he was in 48 hours Mm. but watching him legitimately be the smartest guy in the room and you know for it to be like a searing commentary on beverly hills Mm. while all this is going on at no point does it feel like exploitative or tropey like it, it it never feels like oh it's hijinks will ensue when the black cop comes to the rich neighborhood. It's none of that. It is like you are squarely in Axel Foley's shoes the entire time. And he's the type of character that you want to be. He's so fucking cool. Yes. He's such a great character. <laughs> I have never loved a character so much in a while. I love. And by the way, the name Axel Foley, that, that's, that helps too. Doesn't it? It's just the perfect I think he, name. He might've changed the name. Really? I think they had a name. Stallone had a name and the studio. I forget exactly what it was. I'd have to check the story on this. But there was a there was a name that Eddie thought was too stereotypically black. Mm. And so he's like, let's just change it, make it a little more grounded. Um, and, And that's where Axel Foley came from. But it is a phenomenal name. Yes. One of the greats, I think. Would you rather hang out with Axel Foley or Popeye Doyle? Oh God, uh, Axel Foley. Popeye. Okay. Why would I want to hang out with Popeye Doyle? He's an asshole. I don't know. I kind of want to sit in the squad car for a day and like, like, <laughs> just get, see him rough get, up some hoodlums. I don't know. Yeah, but get off to him treating you like shit. <laughs> like Axel Foley is your buddy. He is the man. He's the most affable human being imaginable. Got your back. Yes. I don't. And hey, you want to know something about Popeye Doyle? He don't got your back. <laughs> if you if you can remember that ending, <laughs> it's a fair point. It's a good point. <laughs> oh, I love me some Popeye Doyle. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, yeah that that is Beverly Hills Cop. Um, and I I do wonder. What what this conversation is gonna is is gonna bring up in Beverly Hills Cop Part Two, um, it's all th- this one is is of course the follow up from a couple of years later, directed by Tony Scott, starring Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, Ronnie Cox, and Dean Stockwell. Um, 
I do wonder how how this movie makes you either appreciate or not appreciate the first one. Oh, it makes me appreciate the first one so much more personally. Okay. I I I I, I do think it's a good follow up. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I watched it and I had a lot of fun. It's a this movie's a blast, front to back, and um, Axel Foley's still a delightful person. And you know, the, m- there's plenty of just memorable set pieces and great heists. Some a really really fun ending, I guess. Um, it's a little too much though, to me. It's sort of the '80s excess take it to an extreme that makes this the, makes the character feel a little more inauthentic makes the world feel a little more authentic even just the story like like there is a groundedness to that first uh um um uh, Beverly Hills Cop movie whereas like even honestly even though it's it's silly as hell the moment where he puts the banana in the tailpipe yeah i buy it you know he's just fucking with the cops fine uh this movie is insanely sleek and stylized and all the shots are like often maybe not so much with the action scenes but they're really tight and considered and there's like that metallic sheen look that was very present in a lot of Tony Scott movies and the the look of the movie is very serious and sometimes dreadful but you know Axel Foley again is not that at all and I would maybe say Eddie Murphy goes a little too loud in this if that makes any sense uh, that is certainly a criticism that's been lobbied at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's sometimes a bit much, uh, and it's a, and it's it's again, it's another one of those moments where it's like the joke has left and you're still going. So mm. move on, move it on. Nominated for best original song at the Oscars, Bob Seger's <laughs> Shakedown. Axel Foley returns to Beverly Hills to help Taggart and Rosewood investigate Chief Bogomil's near fatal <laughs> shooting and the series of alphabet crimes associated oh, yeah. with it the alphabet crimes yeah uh eddie does a lot of shtick yes he does in this one in a way that he did not in the first one no nope. and i think part of that was okay the first one worked even though it was kind of a stallone action vehicle now let's make this an eddie murphy comedy mm-hmm. and perhaps they go a little too far in that direction yeah. and you know I'm, I'm with you there's a lot of just eddie walking into a room and screaming at people. <laughs> yes. It's you know, like, uh, is this the one with the Rolling Stone magazine or was that the last one where he's yelling about being a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine at the this... hotel? That's the first one, right? No, that's the first one. Yeah. Okay. But the, the, oh, this is the one where he's, he goes up to the construction site and he's like, all these plans are wrong. There's no right angles to be used in this. Yeah, house. exactly. 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 <laughs> they want a donut house. Well, they, they, if you want a donut house, that's what they're paying you for. But here's the thing, like, the, th- those scenes are everywhere. Yes. Like, almost every scene where Eddie shows up, he's doing stuff like that. Yeah. And the direction of this movie is so in opposition to what Eddie's doing. Right. And that, that's the weird thing about it, is that it may, and maybe it's Tony Scott. It could be just Tony Scott's direction at the end of the day. Mm. I think if, and again, it's like, who do you blame? Do you, because I think the movie, when it's not... Uh, Eddie Murphy is consistent with what it is. It's not like there are any like major blunders or anything. But then you look at Eddie in a bubble, and it's like, yeah, Eddie Murphy's great, but does he belong in this movie? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I, 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 perhaps he got a little too much power too in this one. He he was a screenwriter mm-hmm. on this thing, at least a co-writer. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I think maybe it was an 
instance of either too many cooks in the kitchen or the cooks did not exactly know what meal the other cook was making. Sure. Um, sure. Whereas like if you want to give them all the power or you, you know, you want them to make a broad comedy like in Coming to America, that's cool. Um, but yeah, like Eddie Murphy's script with Tony Scott direction. Yeah, I, I, I can understand where that cognitive dissonance may come yeah. about. I am one of the like people that really likes this movie. Uh, I'm not going to say it's better because even I would not have a take that hot, (laughs) but I've, I've toyed with that take. I have, because I'm a big Tony Scott fan and I like just how this movie looks. And I I also just find this movie funnier than the first Beverly Hills cop. Mm. And you know, sometimes that is a little too sticky. Um, but like when he, uh, goes to that that uh, the restaurant where the big bad is in and he like pretends to be gay with a venereal disease oh yeah that's, <laughs> like, that's like pretty that, funny that that shit that shit's like really good or when he he's got the uh the 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 bag that he says has like nuclear waste in it yeah that you don't think that's a his li- face you don't think it's a little too, too much yes definitely it's a bit it's a little too too sticky like you said definitely yeah um i just i get more laughs out of this movie i i just i like the look of this movie i i kind of you know martin breast as as i just said does not really insert himself into action scenes yeah this one tony scott is doing his thing like there's a lot of close-ups a lot of handheld um and there's a lot of quick cutting during some of those car chases and it doesn't always work uh but I I appreciate that this movie at least is trying something different. It wasn't like oh, a total retread mm-hmm. from the first one, and that would have been a shame. And I guess the series sort of, kind of, not really attempts that with the third movie. Oh, the third one, they're just trying to do the first one again. <laughs> that third, and, and it blows. Full disclosure: it was the first time I had seen uh, in its in its entirety Beverly Hills Cop one and two. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's, but I had seen Beverly Hills Cop three. Yeah, you told me that. You saw that one first, right? Yeah. And it was. I just remember being awful, and I remember a bunch of people getting shot at in a Ferris wheel and saying, "Fuck this movie, <laughs> I'm out of here." John Landis directed by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Eddie Murphy doesn't even like that movie. Well, him and Landis got in a big fight, I guess, on the set of Coming to America. Oh really? So yeah, they 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 don't care for each other because I guess like Eddie was the one that hired John Landis to do Coming to America. At first he they you know he was hired for Trading Places, and that was like John giving him a break. And then five years later, the Twilight Zone thing happened. He was sued for manslaughter, mm-hmm. and um, you know Eddie was like, "Oh, this guy's down on his luck. He's an old friend that gave me a shot." I'm going to bring him on now, give him a break. And uh, obviously coming to America is a big box office success, but they bickered a lot on the set of that movie. Um, so yeah, that whole relationship I think fell apart and that might have something to do with why that third one is kind of bad. But um, yeah, though no, I, I would say this one is definitely better than part three. Yeah, <laughs> no. And I would agree. It's a lot better. It's a lot better. Uh, but no, I, 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 I'm not going to dissent and say like, I, I, like I said before, it's, it's a lot of fun. I could, un- I, there was a bit of me that was watching and be like, Hmm, it's not better than the first one, but does Nico think it's better than the first one? <laughs> it was, it was popping up in my head a couple times. Yeah. And look, Chris rocks in the movie. Briefly. He is. Yes. 
as a valet at the Playboy Mansion. Is it just because Hugh Hefner's in this movie? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Hef's in the fucking movie. His performance ain't that good, but... <laughs> well, it's not much of a performance, is it? <laughs> he, has to do, he has something to do. <laughs> not unless you consider Hugh Hefner's life a performance, in which case it is kind of a performance. Gilbert Gottfried's in this movie? That's a great scene. Gilbert! Gilbert. Great stuff. As the accountant, as the evil accountant? That was a really, really fun What would I have to put in your hand to forget (laughs) about what's in the other hand? $200? Uh, Ah, you're breaking my arm here! (laughs) Paul Reiser, I mean, is in the first one, but he has a larger role in the second one as his buddy back in Detroit. It's, uh... I don't know. I again, I I would not go as far to say that it is better, but um, I like the eighty sheen. I like that there's a little more polish on it. It's po- it, it you know it feels like like early Michael Bay too. Like Bad Boys is a lot yes, of that here. It's definitely yeah. It, I, I I'm not as amused by it, and I I don't I don't love every. I don't think the sheen never works, but I'm not. I'm just not sure it worked here entirely. Mm-hmm. It needed to be a little, just a little bit lighter than that. Like I said, visually the movie felt out of place with Eddie Murphy or vice versa. However you want to look at it, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know who does not like this movie? Roger Ebert. No. Did not care for this one. Did not even care for the first one. Really? Oh, that's a shame. Not a fan. Um, he he panned this one though. Really? Oh, it's not that bad. Yeah, no. he was like he he did not like how much of a jerk Axel Foley was, oh. and how he he didn't find it to like be in good fun. Like he, he's just like, well, how do you respond to jerks? You be a bigger jerk. And I I don't know if that's a legit criticism. I love yeah. Axel Foley throughout this whole thing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like I said, there, I I do think Eddie sometimes pushes it a little too far. But on the whole, like if I'm to like get get the percentage of enjoyment, it's like in the nineties. <laughs> right. How do you not love Axel Foley? All right, one more movie. Yep. Coming to America. The big one. The big one. Yeah, I would say so. Directed (laughs) by John Landis, starring Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, Sherry Headley, and James Earl Jones. But there are others that pop up in this cast, including a young Sam Jackson, Mm -hmm. Louis Anderson, and even Cuba Gooding Jr. That's right. For like five seconds. Isn't this Sam Jackson's first role? No, but it was one of his first major motion pictures. Was it? Oh, I thought it was his first role. I think had done TV. We had like a bit part in some small eighties movies, but this huh. is, yeah, I think that might be his first speaking line. I'm not entirely sure though. Oh, okay. Nominated for best costume design and best makeup at the Academy Awards. An extremely pampered African prince travels to Queens, New York and goes undercover to find a wife that he can respect for her intelligence and strong will. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. And uh, maybe you feel differently. But unless you're Peter Sellers, I'm not a fan of multiple roles in the same movie. Oh. Oh. uh, Well, that's a hot take. This is like widely regarded as like one of the greatest scenes that Eddie Murphy's ever done. I know. I know. And I love Hakeem. Hakeem? Prince Hakeem? Hakeem. Hakeem. Yeah. Hakeem. 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 
I think it's Akeem. Akeem, a- sorry. Akeem. Not Akeem Elijahwan. No. Akeem. Prince Akeem. Um, I love him. And I love that performance, as a matter of fact. And I really like that character. And, like, it, in many ways, one of the most likable Eddie Murphy characters. Like, I just I think he, there's a lot of pathos there. I, I'm really bothered by those barbershop scenes. I, I really am. I truly am. Why? It takes me out of the movie. It re- no. I, like I feel like anytime, and I feel the same way about Nutty Professor, and I feel the same way about Norbit. I feel the same about all of his movies. Okay, it's one thing in Doctor Strangelove where Peter Sellers never shares the screen with himself, oh. and it's like all three of those characters feel like they are distinct characters with their own distinct story. Here, when they're in the same room, it's just like you can feel the seams. You can you can almost see like where they had to line up the cameras in order to make this special effect work. And you're so focused on the makeup and you're so focused on how the dialogue doesn't exactly line up. And it's always taken me out of movies like this. And I, I, I know it's a hot take and I know people love coming to America, but it's, I think my least favorite movie on the list for that reason. Uh, it's my, my least favorite movie on the list too. Oh, that's interesting. But not for that reason. I actually don't see those seams. I actually thought they did a good job at masking it. I mean, obviously, yeah, I know what's going on. It's it's pretty blatant. But I just think Eddie Murphy is so electric <laughs> in, in those characters and in, in, in that entire scene. The Jewish character th- is great. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's that 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 I I was like, that's definitely him. But how is that him? It's great. Mm. It's wonderful. But I I think the the scene is edited together like pretty well to to convince me otherwise. So it it honestly it never really bothered me. And at that point, all you have to do is give me a good Eddie performance, and every character he's playing in those scenes are like I said, just wonderful and hilarious. My God, they're fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I guess I just disagree. But okay. that's fine. That's fine. So you so. like the multiple performances. Not always. <laughs> I, I I mean, obviously, I love it in Strangelo because it's my favorite Kubrick film. But uh, here, it's it's good. I would not ride for it in Nutty Professor or Norbit, though. Mm-hmm. It's a shticky thing again, uh, and it's very obvious, and it's silly as hell. And you have to play it in the right context, I guess. Um, I I I don't know where it fits is the thing sometimes in in those other movies. I don't know. Here, here it was definitely surprising when I first saw it, but uh, it was still rewarding enough. I guess that's the other thing in the other movies and especially in Strange Love, where it's like those characters are very, very, very important. And I don't know. I just kind of love what they're doing and how they inform the story. Mm-hmm. And also just the way they play off of each other is, is hilarious. But it's the same way here. I, I will say not all of the multiple performances work. How about that? Yeah, I, I I'm not a huge fan of the pastor that our city plays. Hate the pastor. Hate the pastor. I will say that I wasn't Just a big fan. So shticky and tropey and like, I I, I like I, if Eddie was playing that, I feel like it actually would have worked a lot better. I don't like that scene at all. At all. It it, does the, not, the, the scene where then like the black awareness rally or whatever it is. It's just not. Yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable because of the way they're playing those characters. It's not funny, and it goes on for so fucking long. Well, it also like doesn't make sense as like a, a as a conceit. Like it's like a pastor that is leading a rally with like models I was and bikinis. Yeah, I didn't understand it whatsoever. It just felt like an excuse to get Arsenio to say funny shit at hot women. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do like in that scene the band is called Sexual Chocolate. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. 
sexual <laughs> chocolate. Yeah, I'm a big a, fan of that name. band name. But the rest of the scene, I I don't know. Even the role that Eddie Murphy plays is just, eh, it just feels feels really really icky to me. Um. Yeah. No. I'm 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 with you. Um. Yeah, I, I feel like we're really muted on this this movie that people adore. It is like a cult classic, certainly. And I, I think it, in terms of the movies with the most rabid fans, this is his most beloved in by that metric. It's funny as hell. I, I, I got I think I got more laughs out of this than I did Trading Places. Trading Places is a much better movie, but like mm-hmm. this one, this one, especially the scenes where he's just walking around the streets of Queens and saying he's in love, and everyone's like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Is, yes, fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> like that, the movie is 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 really good at like like not taking that fish out of the. Jesus Christ. I mean, a lot of fish out of the water concepts are really trite and annoying, but this one uses them to like, like, like optimal effect. And I really find them to be kind of funny here. Whereas otherwise I would just kind of roll my eyes and I'm not quite doing that here. See, I I actually think though it works better in something like trading places. Like when, yeah, when, when Eddie's in the, in the office building and he's, and they're explaining to him, the two old guys are explaining to him how like uh, the stock market works. And he's like, sounds to me like you guys are a bunch of bookies. Yep. Like that, that to me is that, that is a fish out of water premise. That's actually like grounded in something. Mm-hmm. Whereas the idea of an African prince, like coming overseas and wearing a Mets uh, <laughs> vest because he thinks that's how, how Americans dress. Uh, like that's just not uh, cool premise. Fine. And you can hang a lot of interesting ideas off of it. And there are some like ideas sure. about class and things like that in this movie. But I mean, it, it's ridiculous and also like an excuse to get Eddie to do bits. And yes. that's that's fine. It, it that's works. why they love it. That's you why know. they love the movie. <laughs> I prefer something like Trading Places, which it's just simple. Dan Aykroyd tries killing himself with a gun. The gun doesn't fire and he drops the fucking gun and it just goes off and hits yeah. a cat like that, that. That to me is like more my brand of comedy than this, which is just very like over the top and shticky. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't want to besmirch this performance because I really do think it's a great performance. Me too. Here's my other problem with the movie. I don't think it ever lives up to that first 15 minutes. I think this oh. movie starts so strong and it, they just go for it. And it's because they had such a big budget here. The production design, A+. Plus. Yep. The, the like visual bits of the orchestra waking him up like an oh, alarm it's clock great. it's so good isn't it and when we're first introduced to the pedal throwers and you know look the line the royal penis is clean <laughs> is the funniest shit i've ever heard in a movie it is one of my favorite movie lines ever but there is never as big a laugh later on in the movie than the royal penis is clean your highness it's the greatest I, I was dying when he's like, get rid of the pedals. Let me go to the bathroom. The baths. Actually, keep the baths. I like the baths. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. But that opening just goes for it in a way that the rest of the movie almost doesn't go for it. Um, yeah. And I just feel like there's no meat on the bone in those first 15 minutes. It is a it is a perfect short film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I agree with that. I don't know. I, I, I do. Like I said, I enjoy I actually enjoy the fish out of, out of the water elements in the in the, the queen scenes a little bit more than that. Okay. Uh, the, the first 15 minutes is, yeah, probably by far the best. And I'm, I'm me personally. I'm not as I'm not as crazy about you know this version of New York. 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of it's dull and and a little depressing, and I don't need to see a bunch of characters in a fucking McDonald's or I'm sorry, a McDowell's. Yeah, McDowell's. For, it's just I don't know. Like that that was the other issue is like the setting was not like like really moving me at all. So that that was part of it. It's not like the New York in Trading Places, which I kind of love. Well, that's yeah. Philly. Yeah, Trading Places is Philly. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was New York. Well, at the end is at the stock exchange in New York, but oh no, okay. that that that's Philly for most of it. Oh, it is. Oh, I completely went over my head. Shit. <laughs> well, anyway, yeah, that that was a great setting. I yeah. love that place. <laughs> I love how it's shot. It's it's wonderful. But yeah, I I do agree. Here, it gets. It's I don't know. I just kind of shrug it off. I just think it's like a lot of it is just the comedy for people, dude. I just think they find it funnier. That's kind of interesting, though. It is it is more of like an artistic rendering of New York rather than a legit like portrait of New York. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, I I almost feel like the African nation, which the name of it I'm blanking on, it that to me felt like more of a real inhabited place. Um, again, I, <laughs> I'm I, not I just, sure. okay, what? but I don't know how can you say that there are scenes where they're on the property and there are fucking elephants walking by the, yeah, the gazebo. Hysterical. Yeah, it's but that's funny, not a though. that's not a real depiction of Africa. <laughs> well, it's real in the context of the movie. Sure, <laughs> and I I wouldn't say that Queens is. Okay, let me let me put it this way: it it is the most lived in. It's in the most way. lived in location. Like it, it, I guess the barber shop. Sure, it it feels that way. Like the, like I I do recognize this apartment building and the shitty landlord and all that stuff. But I I don't know. Like the location is funny back in Africa. Yes, I no, that yes yes the, yes yes. Just the production design is funny. Mm-hmm. The t- dinner table is funny. The toilet is funny. The bathtub yes. is funny. You know, I can't necessarily say that about Queens. Like, no, most of the time it's just Eddie being funny. Yes. And it, it's almost like he has to carry this movie a little too much. No, I agree with that. And I mean, that's prevalent in the multiple performances. Yeah. I wouldn't go as far to say the location in Queens is not lived in. If any, if anything, it's lived into a fault. Uh, okay, maybe. But yeah, I would say that the issue more so is just that it's not as funny or, or visually interesting as what we get in the Africa sequences, which, mm-hmm. yes, I, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with you there. I'm just not as like, I don't know, I, I, I don't think like what they choose to go with is like fundamentally flawed per se. I was just kind of bored by it at times. Um, yeah, it, it, it is a movie that, again, Landis can do this sometimes. It's a little loosely cut. <laughs> And th- there are some scenes that play out a little too long. It's a two-hour movie. It's a very long movie. Could have been an hour and a half easily if they had just sort of cut some of the fat off the bone. Um, it, you know, that that Black Rally in particular, like that scene just doesn't work for me at all. No. Um, but it's, you know, type of movie where you know exactly where it's going from the moment it begins. And we're, we're spending a little too much time arguing about boxers in a barbershop, in my opinion. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's fine. I'm sorry to rain on everybody's parade. I know how much people love this movie. And in many ways, it is the iconic Eddie movie for a lot of people. But um, I, I certainly love that performance with him and the girl, too. Or yes. that, geez, what I, the relationship that they that they have is actually you know, quite sweet. Yes. And, you know, I bought into it pretty quickly. Yeah. I think Arsenio is good in it. This is sort of his coming out party. He got a talk show on the back of this. Uh, former Celebrity Apprentice champion Arsenio Hall, by the way. Is that true? It oh, is wow. true. Cool. He beat Clay Aiken in the finals. Oh my God. Clay Aiken was going out for it. Oh <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> Jesus. You've seen too much reality television. <laughs> Lots of it. Um, but yeah, and it's an important movie for, again, Sam Jackson's in it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, 
It's a jumping off point. James Earl Jones is really fun in it. Yeah, he is. Uh, I love him in this, just doing his Darth Vader thing, essentially. Darth Vader. <laughs> he's basically Darth Vader. He's a he's a mean dad. No, <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> no, Nico, he's not being Darth Vader in this. Doesn't movie. he reference Darth Vader in this movie? Doesn't he like say a Darth Vader quote? Like I will, I will take care of him myself. I don't know. Doesn't he's he say <laughs> that to Louis Anderson in the movie? He could have said that. I don't remember, but he's not dark. Dude, there's a scene where he's like, oh, I, to, to, to let loose, you have sex with your bathing host. I know I do. Like, he's not playing Darth Vader. <laughs> Go sow your royal seeds. Your royal oats, right? Sow your royal oats. <laughs> he's hilarious in this movie. <laughs> This is a great movie. Who am I kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the movie's... Yeah, This is the thing. I think when when people come... We're talking about the fandom around this movie. It is, one to me, one of the funnier ones on this list, honestly. I I agree. It definitely has its shortcomings, but um, it's not my favorite. But uh, yeah, no, I I, I get it. That's all I'll say. I get it. Love the Trading Places Easter egg as well. Yeah, that's a good one. We hinted at this beforehand. The Dukes do show up again. In this scene, this time they are playing uh, homeless men mm-hmm. that Prince Akeem uh, gives like a wad of cash and a it's, shit ton uh, of money too. It's it's really good stuff. It, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um. All right, and that's coming to America. Anything else you want to say about it? I yeah no I, I I liked it I liked it I like I said didn't love it but it was but it's a good one. Okay. All right, here we go. We got to pick one to put into the movie Hall of Fame. What what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I have, I have my hearts on, uh, um, uh, geez, geez. What am I trying to say? Uh, Beverly Hills Cop and 48 hours. Personally, those are my two favorite, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. As I said, trading places was mine. Um, again, I, I would just make the argument that it is the most polished sure. of all of these movies. And I just think is like the most efficient. And so for judging quality, that would be, you know, quality is a tough one for me to answer, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think Beverly Cop, Beverly Hills Cop 2, we can cross off for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like we're both kind of lukewarm on coming to America. So although that might be the front runner for a lot of people. I, I mean, I, I hadn't seen coming to America like the last time I saw the movie was when I was like 10 or something. So that's all also part of it as to why I'm lukewarm on it probably is that I didn't grow up with this movie. I saw it, like I said, we saw it once and moved on. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time watching it in many years. So maybe that's part of it. I, 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 I completely understand why it's as popular as it is. It's just not, not, not as obviously my thing as some of the other ones. Right. So, Beverly Hills Cop, I would say, is the most iconic. Yeah. So if we're talking about legacy, that would be where I would lean on that. And in terms of impact, I do think 48 Hours, in terms of helping popularize this genre, mm-hmm. I would give the edge to that one. Yeah. I mean... <sighs> It's we're talking about Eddie though here, you know, you know. That's true. What you know? what would you say is the most prototypical Eddie movie? Prototypical Eddie movie? Jeez, yeah. jeez, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's got to be Beverly Hills Cop, right? I guess so. Yeah, it's the best performance. I love that performance. I really do. And I I do like Forty Eight Hours. <laughs> Forty Eight Hours is just the coolest goddamn movie. Mm. It is very cool, and it, it's Walter Hill just at the peak of his powers. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. But but Beverly Hills Cop is Eddie Murphy at the peak of his powers. 
Oh boy. Uh, what are you, what would you say? I would lean Beverly Hills Cop over 48 hours just for the purposes of this program. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... Trading well, Places is the closest to my heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, man, I don't know. I'm very split down the middle. I, th- the, I think the only thing that made me say 48 hours was the fact that Judge Reinhold was in Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> I just don't like Judge Reinhold. That being, is Reinhold the tiebreaker here? Jesus Christ. <laughs> But it's like, but but it's the, but it's for Eddie Murphy though is the thing, and when mm. I'm, you know, that's why I'm kind of going Beverly Hills Cop. It's kind of the obvious answer though, but you know, it's cool. I don't well, know. Well, if we're more- just going by Eddie Murphy, I Delirious would be the actual go-to in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost nominated Raw because Delirious was an HBO special. Raw actually did get a theatrical release. Did it? Yeah, so I, I I thought about would that count, but I think that might be a podcast for another day. Theatrically released stand up specials. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that a good might one. be that might be pretty good. I might enjoy that. I'm more a fan of Delirious than Raw though. Raw's a little, it's a little more topical. It's very impression based, whereas Delirious, it's a little more storytelling based. Okay. Um, and it's a little you know, Raw's kind of dated. Like he does like a Bill Cosby thing. Mm. James Brown thing. Well, I guess he does the same thing in Delirious. He has a great Michael Jackson impression and his Elvis impression where he's like <laughs> at the back half of his career, Elvis looked like he was just constipated at all times. <laughs> this was his clenched asshole. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> What's the one where he dressed, he had the red suit on? That's Delirious. That's yeah. Delirious? Okay. That's a good he does one. this whole jag about how like his father was screaming at his uncle for like burning <laughs> shit on the grill. <laughs> and it's like 20 minutes just in character as his, it's amazing. Oh my, the ice cream bit is just, oh my God. The ice you cream. can't afford it because <laughs> you're on welfare. <laughs> and then he drops it. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped your ice cream. <laughs> or that fucking bit where his mother has like the... The the slipper, like yeah. like Clint Eastwood in a Western, and he does the... <laughs> like, that's like... That takes you like 10 years to develop a bit like that. It's mm-hmm. great. And it's there... that running bit of like the quick draw. She, mm-hmm. she throws the slipper. I would have liked to have talked about it. Yeah. Oh, that, that special's amazing. It's just mm-hmm. the best. Specials could be in the future. I don't think it's a bad idea. So. Some homophobic shit at the beginning, no question. Oh, that's okay. But, you know, it was the 80s. And yeah, what are you doing? It's fine. Yeah, one day we're going to do that. All right. We might have to do Bill Cosby himself, too. Really? Another problematic conversation. Uh, how, but how about we not do that for the sake of the podcast? That's my favorite stand-up special of all time. I don't care. It's number one. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Wait, wait I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking about like stuff, wait, that Bill Cosby himself has done. That's no, what I thought you were saying. No, Bill Cosby, co- comma, himself, the stand-up special. By Eddie Murphy? The special is called Bill Cosby himself, and it's Bill Cosby doing stand-up. Oh. Yeah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Why? Because we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's a bad idea, Nico, and you know it. But it's the best. Fine, you can you can enjoy it all you want, all by yourself. <laughs> but and we're not going to do that. And I have many go times. Go ahead. Fine. <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. Alone I'm in pl- my room. Good. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm playing Nick Evangelista right now. We're not going to do that. Bill Cosby on Novocaine, <laughs> yeah. and the dentist is talking to him. So, did you do any fishing? <laughs> <laughs> 
Mijn bevibbers. Mijn bevibbers. We've already done a Woody Allen pod. We don't need to do a fucking Bill Cosby. Pod. Chocolate cake. I want chocolate cake. Sorry. I'm sorry, um, dude. I, my, my vote is Beverly Hills Cop for this. What do you think? God. Uh, I hate this. It's it's nice, though, to finally have one where the answer for me is tough. It's, I feel like it's been fucking forever. It has. Uh, Jesus Christ. I love or these Or we say movies. fuck it and say trading places. No. No. Why do you hate trading places so much? I don't hate trading places. Some I just don't think, think it, do. I just don't think it's nearly as good as uh, the other two. Like, what's more important, though? That's my other question. Like, importance is the big one for me. What's the most important? Well, one is more important to film, and one is more important to Eddie Murphy. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I do think it is the ultimate, like, Eddie carries a movie. That that's the thing, and that's why I'm I'm so close to giving it to that one. Oh, like boy. again, I don't think Forty Eight Hours is as good with Richard Pryor in that role. I do no, not think so. No, but I just think it's a better movie on the whole. I, the but mov- I get the movie works with Richard Pryor though. What? Forty Eight Hours. If 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 he's in that, it, it works. If Richard Pryor's in it, in Forty Eight Hours, not Beverly Hills Cop though. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You with know that. what I'm saying? Like he literally made that movie great. I, 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 I don't think the movies doesn't work with, I mean, <laughs> Richard maybe. Pryor in that movie would have been terrible. Come on. Oh yeah. 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 I agree with that completely. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with that completely. I think with Stallone, it would have been forgettable. Yes. I don't think the movie's broken as it is with just like a fine actor, but yes, we would I not do be agree. talking about it today. It would not be one of the highest grossing movies of all time, but no, anyway. no, 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 no. And I just, yeah, I just, God, I fucking love Axel Foley. Look, if you want to do 48 hours, I, I don't feel that strongly about Beverly Hills no. Cop, but it sounds like you're hemming and hawing. I, I, I am. <laughs> hemming and hawing. I love that. Uh, Can you I, use one of those damn vetoes you have already? You've been saving this shit up. I have two of them. You have two of them? I have two of them. Oh <laughs> I was God. just thinking about that. Do I just veto and go, oh, God. But it's for, it's for Eddie Murphy. I guess I got to do Beverly Hills Cop, don't I? I think you do. Congratulations to Beverly Hills Cup. Axel Foley. That's a good one. That'll do it. Uh, what else? What else we got going on? Anything? Oh, God. I don't know. What's uh, happening next week? We got to think about this. Yeah, I know. Uh, do we want to talk about that right now? Or if we're going to talk about it off air? I don't know. Sounds like I, we have a bunch of ideas, so I guess we can pick any one. I'll let I, you decide. I, I've been deciding a bunch of these lately. I mean, my like, I said that you know, I, at some point, we don't have to do that now, but I wanted to eventually do a class of McLean. You know? Yes. Because um, I was I was watching Live Free or Die Hard a couple nights ago, and I was like, "Hmm, you know something? I have thoughts. Okay, <laughs> I have I have lots of thoughts." Yeah, we got that. Um, we'll talk about it. We got that Cassavetes thing that we wanted to do with Jabril. Um, yeah. we'll we'll talk off air. I think Howard Hawks is a good idea too. Like you said, yeah, maybe, maybe we do Howard Hawks next week. Yeah, 
I'm not totally opposed to it either. I just have to watch movies. This is the thing. It's like, oh God, I gotta watch more fucking movies. I would I wouldn't mind doing one where I have to watch like no movies for a week. <laughs> That's the thing. I it's like, oh God. We'll talk about it. Okay. Um Okay. Next yeah. week. Next week. We got more I shows. I figured out. Uh Go to the website tmt.media, too many thoughts media.com for more of our shenanigans. Why is this a thing? Mm-hmm. Is on there as well as Cultured and Two Cents Radio. Um, that's it. That's Documentary it. Month rages on over at, uh, at Why Is This a Thing? Yeah, it does. What are we doing? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know yeah. what this week's movie is. Yeah. Uh, I might be busy this Sunday, actually. We have to talk about that. Oh, God. Well, we could do it on like a Monday or something. I don't know. Nick's probably not going to be able to do it, though. Yeah, that Nick, man. That always toiling away. That Nick. Always on the job like Axel Foley. He just never <laughs> stops working. It's insane. Shout out to the god Eddie Murphy. Yep. And until next time. I like that boulder. That is a nice boulder. Boulder.